Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Notebook, November 10th. Uh, this is Marc-Antoine Graham with Arpin Basu. Uh, Arpin, so an eventful week for the Montreal Canadiens. Huh? It seems as though there was, they came back from their trip. There was, uh, it seemed as though all hell had broken loose. We had Martin Saint-Louis uh, admitting to some mistakes or shortcomings. Uh, the team wins in Detroit. It's been, it's been rather eventful, I find. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, it's been, you know, there's the first the first part of their season is split into a series of wins and a series of losses. I think uh the Canadians learned from both of those sequences. Um but yeah, I thought, you know, on Wednesday, uh the day after the loss to the Lightning, Martin Saint-Louis coming out and admitting that he bears some responsibility for the losing streak because he put too much um or maybe lost focus because of the results and it, you know, Martin St. Louis is constantly harping on process over results. Um, so for him to admit that is refreshing. You know, yeah. I, we don't, we don't get, I don't think I've ever covered a coach who has come out and said, uh, that's on me and, and that's my bad. I'm a young coach. I'm learning kind of thing, you know, sort of taking responsibility or taking ownership for, for something that, you yourself have realized was an oversight on your part. Um, not many NHL coaches would do that. None I've really covered. I couldn't see Marcel Terrien doing that. <laughs> so not <No>. really, not <laughs> really his style. It's, um, and even no, just, w- just to put the, uh, our, our listeners uh, in the loop, because it, it, uh-huh. he, he had this comment in French. Um, so basically, so I'll translate for, for, for those who might not have heard it or understood it. So he said, our success early in the season may have hidden some small issues. And I'm going to take my share of the blame as a young coach. I have to be careful to not stop myself from diving into every little aspect of the game just because we're winning. Sometimes you put a Band-Aid where you would need a little surgery. When you don't get the result, it really makes you work. But if you don't have that kind of mentality, you put Band-Aids for too long and at some point you need to do far too big a surgery and it's too late. So yeah. there you go. And so this is not the first time this has happened to Martin St. Louis. If you recall, um, last season before heading out on their Christmas trip, he was asked, um, is this, is this trip going to show you what your team is kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And he said something to the effect of, I know what my team is. My team has shown me what it is through their results and through their play. And so, and he admitted that during that stretch of wins last season, 
he had allowed certain areas of their defensive game to slip because he was moving in steps. You know, the famous chapters that he talked to us about when he first took the job. You know, he was moving through his chapters. Yeah. And, you know, he later on in the season admitted that, yes, because of the results, I let some of the defensive stuff. I, I, I kind of stopped working on the defensive stuff because I thought, I thought we had that down. And so this isn't quite the same thing, but it's similar in the sense that he is admitting that he wasn't able to see the faults in his team's game, despite the fact that they were consistently coming from behind, that they were consistently being badly outshot, but pretty badly outplayed for big chunks of those games, at least 40 minutes of those games. Um, and the win at the end of the night allowed him to convince himself that everything's fine and yeah. everything wasn't fine. And the road trip, and especially the game against Vegas, only confirmed how how fine things were. Best game they've played under Martin Saint Louis, um, quote unquote. Uh, those those issues were not present in that Vegas game, but the ones that were immediately before that definitely came to the forefront over the next three games. So, in the last episode, we discussed how Marty went from making decisions early in the season that were clearly oriented towards development, like, for example, using Justin Barron on the PK. Uh, yeah. And then Jack he moved... The power play. That's it. Two decisions that were more aligned with how the team performed, their record, mm -hmm. etc. So it didn't take long for him to realize that he had been steered in the, in the wrong direction. But I find that it's a tough... It's a tough give and take because... As much as he wants to make the right decisions for the long term and think of development, he mm -hmm. still needs to have his players on board and having them buy what he's selling. And those guys are certainly in the mindset of, are we doing everything we can to win tonight? Yeah. Yeah, so, no, 100%. They have to, he has to do that. He has to, he has to toe that line. And that's one part of what, what Andre Tourigny in his rant, his pregame rant in Arizona last week, um, One thing that, that I think really resonated with me when he said that is like the kid knows he's not doing well and the guy beside him yeah. knows he's struggling. And that's really what it comes down to. Like Martin can make decisions based on development, but if the guy beside, let's take Slavkovsky as the example, even though this is a purely just because he's the youngest guy on the team. So when Slavkovsky was struggling during that stretch, would it be such a, would it be so, far-fetched to believe that one, two, a few, that there were people in that room who saw him struggling and were like, we need someone better than this to help us win. Yeah. It's not, it's not a, it's not a far-fetched notion. I don't think that exists on this Canadians team, but on many teams it does, especially teams that are competing and they're trying to win and they see a first overall pick or a first round pick or someone who's being given a bit of a pass for whatever reason and who's struggling, who's preventing them from winning. So Marte needs to, needs to straddle that line. There's mm -hmm. definite development decisions that have to be made, but you can't lose the guys who are going out there, putting it on the line and blood, sweat, tears, all that stuff, hoping to get a win. So it's not an easy thing, especially as Marte mentioned as a young coach, it can be easy to lose that line sometimes. And I think, you know, him admitting that he did that to some extent, um, and not only, not only from a development win standpoint, but even from a, from, from evaluating his own team standpoint, 
You know, I mean, it's this was not a case of him prioritizing solely prioritizing two wins over development or solely prioritizing development over two wins. It was the fact that he thought his team was better than it actually was. And yeah, yeah that's a good point. That's yeah. a good point because that's you uh, you convince yourself of something that's just not not true. You know, it's yeah. an it's an illusion, but. At the same time, the, the the part where development still seems to be very much at the forefront, at least in my mind, is how he's still trying to empower his players and uh, help them find their confidence as much as possible. You know, mm -hmm. uh, during the, the trip, didn't, only a few days ago, you know, it was all about how Slaff, you know, it, it all seemed a bit too much for him and blah, blah, blah. Well, what does St. Louis do? Uh, do? He, he puts him on the first line with Suzuki and Kofian. Uh, Mike Matheson, just like the rest of the, the team, fragile, not having too much confidence right now. Well, Derek, I'm going to double down on this. I'm going to play you 28 minutes against Detroit, even when some everybody says that you're playing too yeah. much. Uh, Primo, Including himself. Yeah, including himself. That's right, yes. including himself, and, or 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 Caden Primo. You know, he hasn't played in weeks, and mm -hmm. you know, and now he's in the net in Detroit. And by the way, I think that that Primo looked he looked like an NHL goalie against the Red Wings. He did. He really looked convincing in terms of, you know, I found that his um, his lateral movement was good, his yeah. reads on the play were good, his glove was sharp. Uh, he was he was convincing. That save on Debrinket, that save on Debrinket in overtime was was big league for sure. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So it's not as though he has not empowered his players mm -hmm. before in trying to to make sure that he gives them chances to succeed. But at the same time, just taking last night's uh, last night's game in Detroit as an example, you end up in the third period, or Slavkovsky is meant to be on the line with Dvorak and and Caulfield and. Next thing you know, he's only played 13 minutes and was was benched in favor of Jake Evans when they were trying to not be scored on late in the game. Well, this is what this is. I had a serious issue with that because you can't, you know, he did say that this season he leans more towards the two points that he does the development, except in talking about Slavkovsky and talking about moving him up to that line with Suzuki and Caulfield, he was just talking about all the development he's done on the defensive side of the puck and how that allows him to, to feel comfortable giving Slavkovsky the difficult matchups that naturally come with playing with Suzuki and Caulfield. Um, I'm sure he told Slavkovsky the same thing. Yeah. Now, the two issues I have with him sitting – it's only two shifts. He missed two shifts on that line – on his line where Jake Evans took his place. Um, not as if he needs, I mean, he, one rationale could be like having like a righty face off with Dvorak as a lefty face off, but that's irrelevant because you don't change sides once the face offs decided what side it's on. But it's so a, it's, it's a mixed message to publicly and presumably to Slavkovsky. But the other thing is putting Jake Evans out there is playing not to lose. For sure, yeah. You're, you're, you're tied. It looks like you're trying to get to overtime as opposed to trying to win the game in regulation, especially if you're a team like St. Louis believes they are, as realistic as that might not be. But St. Louis is trying to make the playoffs with this team. We might yeah. think that's not realistic. He doesn't care. 
His players are trying to make the playoffs. He's trying to make the playoffs. So when you're facing a team that will probably be in that hunt for that final playoff spot in the division, saying, I'm going to try and get this to overtime by not allowing a goal, as opposed to I'm going to go out and get a goal and win this game, is also a mixed message. The one thing I'll say about St. Louis is after everything he said about how fragile the team was, I can see how getting that point was important to the Canadians right at that moment. Yeah. So I get it. But well, I didn't I didn't like Slavkovsky sitting those last two shifts. It's only two shifts. It's not the end of the world. I just don't think that's a good message to send to the kid after all the messaging that he had done about how much he's improved defensively and how his play away from the puck has improved and how he's doing a lot of good things. It's just not he's just not scoring. Well, basically, by doing that, you're telling him, "Yeah, you're not doing those things all that well. You're not doing those. <laughs> you're not doing those things well enough for me to put you out in a situation where I'm comfortable putting Caulfield out there." Yeah, you know? but it's yeah, but at the same time, I mean, I think that he's got he's right to think that this team has more chance once they're in overtime. They're a good overtime team, mainly because of. Of coffee, you're giving, up a, you're giving up a point to a division, a division foe. You know I understand, I, mean? I understand, but uh, lately his thing has been to say how they need to manage risks, and the last thing you want is make a mistake towards the end of the game and give the other team a point, two points actually, and depriving yourself of one because you mismanaged the risk. I'm not excusing him or defending his decision, but it's just I'm going by his logic and trying to see. You know where you also have to, but yeah. you also have to go with how the kid played that night. He, oh, he played, played a really, well. played he played well. a really good game, and I thought he played a responsible, smart, risk managed game. Mm -hmm. And he and he held the puck, and he was making moves, and he was doing things. He was making right decisions. He had that chance in front that if he had just gotten some air under that backhand, might have been a goal. I mean, he was in the right spots. He was doing all the thing Martin, all the things Martin Saint Louis said he wants to see from him. Lots of touches, right areas of the ice was assertive when he had the puck on occasion, was, you know, tried some moves on guys to beat them one-on-one, -on -one. you know, really a confident game from him, I thought. And to sort of sweep that confidence out from under the rug kind of thing, like, you know, it just didn't sit well with me. And I thought it was really shading too far to one direction away from the development side. Like I think Slavkovsky would have benefited from being trusted in that situation. And the, 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 the benefit of that was I think higher than the risk of him costing them the game. So we'll come back to the, uh, the line combinations in a minute, but I just wanted to uh, wrap up on the, uh, the idea of, uh, uh, of those, you know, issues that needed to be addressed and basically that they put band-aids on because I think the five-on-five five play was very revealing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, during the month of October, uh, they, they were they were the team that gave the least amount of goals, five-on-five five in the league. I mean, Sean Monaghan was not on the ice for a single goal against at five-on-five five for the first 10 games of the season. That was yeah. That's crazy. Now he's been on five. Five goals against in the last three games, but that's mm -hmm. that's another story, or maybe it's it's the same story. But yeah, I mean, it, is. Same, it is the same story. But <laughs> yeah. so it so they did that. So they produced great results, but at the same time, I mean, only forty eight percent of the expected goals ratio were in their favor. Forty nine percent of the shot shares. But what was the statistic that made everything lie? 
was the fact that five on five, their goalies sported a 965 save percentage. So if That's you... That's in the league. They had the best goal By far. Game. Five yeah. on five, that by far. So yeah. that 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 was a huge band-aid. I mean, that was like, you know, those big ones that you have when you buy like the 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 first eight pack, there's only one of those in the box. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The big that was one. a cast. It was a cast. <laughs> <That> was a, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And even I mean, even today, after they've won in Detroit, this was yet another win in in uh in overtime. And yeah. the Canadians have only two regulation wins since the beginning of the season. And only two teams have also two regulation wins. The Edmonton Oilers and the San Jose Sharks. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. so you don't want to see too much and say, oh, okay, you know what? We just took the miracle pill and everything will be fine. There are still issues to be addressed. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I think... I mean, here's hoping, you know, Marty realizes that despite the win in Detroit, which was, which was a gutty win. Let's just, let's be honest. Listen, for a team that was as fragile, you know, to give up, to score first, finally, for the first time in forever, um, give up that lead, take the lead again in the third, give up that lead again. And, and that's what I was talking about earlier. Like the justification for sitting Slaff was that he, he couldn't lose that game. Mm-hmm. Like in the sense that, with the state of the team being what it was, uh, they needed to get that game to overtime. Um, I don't agree with it, but I, I would imagine that was, that would be his argument. Um, and so, you know, we often hear coaches talk about their teams as being fragile. It's actually, it's, it's, it's oddly a term that coaches aren't afraid to use. I would think they would be more afraid to use it than they actually are, but it seems to be something that coaches don't have a problem saying they won't call their team soft. Yeah. But they'll call them fragile, which mm-hmm. kind of means the same thing as far as I'm concerned. But anyhow, and so you do have to manage that to some extent. Yeah. But it's like I'm it's, not sure it's not the same thing because a, a team it's, that is fragile, it's a it's mentally it's a, temp, soft. It's a temporary state it's a of mind. A, so, a team mentally that is soft, soft, it's it's who it's part of who they are. It's yeah. I think being fragile is mentally soft. I take that as you know you play yeah. soft. You're being physically soft. You're not really engaging mm-hmm. physically in the game. I think calling your team fragile is calling them mentally soft. That's okay. that's how I look at it. And and fine, you know. I mean, honestly, like it's call a spade a spade. It's 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 fair. Um, so, but so it happened. It, it happened three only a few couple of games after they had just played their best game under Martin Saint Louis. Yeah, that's a that that's a. That's a hard fall. Yeah. It happened and, and quickly. The fall, and the fall, yeah, the fall, it did. It happened very quickly. But, you know, bad starts. Like, kind of these recurring themes, you know, poor rush defense, which Marty had already kind of identified as being an issue. Um, you know, I mean, opening shift against Tampa. Listen, no goalie is stopping that shot from Nikita Kucherov, but Nikita Kucherov completely unmarked anywhere close to the house in the offensive zone is a recipe for disaster. Like that's why you're just asking this guy to like whip a wrist shot from like way out here. Like who shoots from out there? Fine. So like, I don't blame Jake Allen on that. That's Nikita Kucherov being Nikita Kucherov, but you can't allow him to be Nikita Kucherov all by himself. No. And that's like right off the bat, right off the start first shift of the game. And then they crumbled. And so, Marty was not wrong to call them fragile or mentally soft in my terms, but it's, you know, it, 
that takes time to build back up. Like, I don't think the Canadians are back from that. They're playing Boston and Vancouver back to back. Vancouver is riding like the sickest PDO heater you'll ever see in your life. Like, it's just like just shooting percentage and save percentage out the yin yang for Vancouver. But Boston's coming in here legitimately on a Boston Bruins heater the way they, they did all last year. Oh, they yeah. got off to a bad start in that game. I mean, listen, they could win, they could lose both these games over the weekend, and they're really no, they're really not at even at square one. They're further behind than yeah. they were before the Detroit game. So it's a lot of work left, but and and not much time to work on it because they didn't practice today. They're going to have probably a pretty brief morning skate before Boston, and then they won't have a morning skate again in Vancouver. So, mm. and then they probably won't practice on Monday either. So, I mean, it's really you're looking at a lot of time without much practice coming up. True. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, so we're used to talk about chemistry a lot in hockey, mm-hmm. but uh, I think what Martin Saint-Louis did in Detroit was more a question of physics. Now, bear with me here for a second. Uh, according to Wikipedia, which, by the way, remains it's one never of the, wrong. It's never wrong. <laughs> it, it has known to be wrong before, but it's, it remains one of the best things in the internet, I find. Oh, it is. Com- it is. Combining knowledge... Uh, the 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 people being you know, combining their efforts too, yeah, and making it not about bank, making money. Honestly, it's a nice combination. I'll take the the occasional uh, thing that's wrong any day of the week when you have that combination. But anyway, so Wikipedia defines nuclear fission like this. Okay, nuclear fission is a reaction in which the nucleus of an atom splits into two or more smaller nuclei. The fission process produces gamma photons and releases a very large amount of energy, even by the energetic standards of radioactive decay. So where am I going with this? No idea. Okay, well, so Martin Saint-Louis has got his nucleus, right? He's got Uh his core, and at the center of it, there's Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. Uh, And splitting those two, splitting those two atoms, was done in an effort to release a very large amount of energy. That was nuclear fission, my friend. That's pretty clever. That's pretty clever. What did you make of that decision? I didn't mind it at all. Actually, in fact, I think we talked about it on an earlier episode, how how Martin said that we should not be married to the combination of Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. This is something that we've been saying for a while. Their numbers together... Uh, while offensively are good, defensively are quite awful. And so 100%, that's, I, I think there was the right timing for it. 
considering how things were going. I think it, he came to that decision a little bit based on his admission of, of being too caught up with the results and what have you. And, and if you took a cold look at it, it's not as if Nick Suzuki and Cole Coffee were letting the word on fire at five on five or even outside of the overtime period, really. I yeah. mean, it's, it's so, so all for it. The one thing I didn't like about it, and this was uh, TSN color analyst Dave Poole before the game in Detroit. Um, I wasn't there, but I, I watched Martin's, Martin's uh, availability, and he talked to him about how when he was a player, he hated it when the coach would break up a line that he was on that was going well in order to help the other teams, uh, the other lines. And Marty agreed. He said, yeah, I, I didn't like that, but ultimately it's about the team. It's not about any individual player. So Marty has a line that he refuses to touch. And I don't blame him. It's going really well, and it's still 13 games in. Yeah. Most consistent line the Canadians have. Tanner Pearson, Sean Monaghan, Brendan Gallagher, the gray hair line. And, However, if it really is about the team, like, and we've, we've listen, we've talked about how the Christian Dvorak, Brendan Gallagher thing does not work. Right. So I can understand that as well. And I can understand not wanting to make complete wholesale changes all in one shot. But putting Cole Caulfield and Uri Slavkovsky with Christian Dvorak seems like a bit of a waste. <laughs> no disrespect to Christian Dvorak, but just stylistically, in terms of offensive potential, Sean Monaghan would be a way better fit on that line. And then, so if you, if you decide to break up that line, the yeah. Pearson, Monaghan, Gallagher line, and then say, okay, well, we have a lot of history of showing that Christian Dvorak and Brendan Gallagher simply do not work. We don't have that with Tanner Pearson. You could always just put Christian Dvorak, Tanner Pearson, and Yoel Armia and go with Pizzetta, Jake Evans, and Brendan Gallagher. Jake Evans and Brendan Gallagher having shown good chemistry last season over a small stretch of games. I understand that would be a complete wholesale change, all four lines changing, and maybe Martin didn't want to go that drastic. But I saw I saw the first news was that Suzuki and Caulfield weren't playing together. Yeah. I was like, oh, good idea. And then I saw that all he did was swap Suzuki and Dvorak. I was like, yeah. It's not that creative. It's not that creative. It's a little underwhelming, to be honest with you. But listen, I mean, it worked. It's not as if, again, um, it didn't result in any huge fireworks. And so, if I were Martin, I would consider, um, I would consider putting Monahan between Slavkovsky and Caulfield, or even between Anderson and Newhook. Honestly, like I mean, put them on an offensive line. Put them with the, the offensive guys that you can't get going because the beauty of it, and this is what's kind of ironic, is that we've determined, rightly or wrongly, that Brendan Gallagher, if he loses Sean Monaghan, we will lose – the Canadians will lose some of what Brendan Gallagher has shown this year. Except Brendan Gallagher used to be the guy that you put him on a line and the line would work. Yeah. That appears to be Sean Monaghan. So, you know, I'd like to see him with one of those two sets of wingers. If he's going to keep those sets of wingers together, whether it's Newhook and Anderson, whether it's preferably to, to me, but either one, whether it's Caulfield and Slavkovsky, um, I'd like to see Monaghan there and not Dvorak. No, Dvorak, stylistically, is, he's a very hard guy to fit because I find that his uh, he's, he's, on a team that doesn't have 
any super superstar up front. You need to win by committee. You need to score by committee. So you need to have depth up front. So he's destined to be in the current current state of the team, either your second or your third line centerman. Uh-huh. But so he'll be expected to provide at least a little bit of offense. But it's hard to find the proper type of offensive profile that will fit with what he's bringing you. If he was a winger and would just take draws on his strong side, I think it'd be easier to move, but easier to, to play around on the roster. Right. But when when he's centering his own line, I find that finding the right uh, the, the the right wingers for him to create offense is a bit tricky. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, listen, I like Christian Dvorak as a third line center. I have no problem with that. It's 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 but he's got to be the third line center or the fourth mm-hmm. line center. And I have no problem with him with Tanner Pearson. I mean, listen, and honestly, like give it a shot with Brendan Gallagher. Maybe there's a different Brendan Gallagher, and maybe it'll work. I don't know. It's what we've seen in the past hasn't, but I don't think Brendan Gallagher was playing at quite this level in the past either. So no, he was banged up. And he, he was, was banged, banged up. up. No I, matter who yeah. was the centerman he was playing with, he was far from being at the top of he his. Couldn't, his he health. couldn't move. So maybe no. it would work this time around with Christian Dvorak. But I don't like Christian Dvorak centering Cole Caulfield and Uri Slavkovsky. It just seems. It, it just it's it seemed like Marty went against what he said prior to the game. Where, yes, changes are necessary, but I'm going to do the least amount of changing possible so that we maintain some continuity, especially on the one line that's really going for me. And right. just doing a center swap between Suzuki and Christian Dvorak. Listen, it already wasn't ideal having Christian Dvorak playing with Josh Anderson and Alex Newhook. It was even less ideal having Christian Dvorak playing with Cole Caulfield and Yuri Slavkovsky. If anything, you know, Christian Dvorak should not be moving past the third line center spot on this team, which he was, I guess, not doing because Sean Monaghan was taking second-line reps with his line. But it's uh, it was an odd decision. That's not the only – I mean, it's, it's not the only – he also swapped all his defense pairings. So it's not as if Marty was doing laissez-faire and doing as little as possible. Like, he made a lot of changes prior to the Detroit game. I just don't yeah. like uh, – I just don't like Dvorak in that spot. Well, I thought that Suzuki used the speed of Newhook and Anderson quite efficiently. Anderson, for second game in a row, a very, very strong game. Yeah. Even though he he's did gonna, not it's, score, it's coming for him. It's, yeah, yeah, but it's coming. It's coming. Man, it's he's he's playing good hockey. Yeah. So, I mean, Newhook, on the other hand, I'm not sure about. Ah, well, it's Newhook. It, it comes and goes. His speed obviously jumps off the jumps yeah. off the ice or off the screen. It can be very effective, but it just doesn't see his vision goes. uh, It opens up, it closes, it opens up, it closes. It's it's a bit irregular still. But I mean, that's where having a guy like Suzuki who really stands out with his vision, it might help him. That's a nice setup on Matson's goal, though. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, but yeah, I think I, I have no issue actually with this. Keep trying with this line, but uh, having having Caulfield and Slaff with with Dvorak was not really helping them. You're right. Maybe that Monaghan there would, would be a better solution. But I mean, I think at the same time, you don't want, it becomes a question of who do you want to help the most? Do you want to make sure that you keep Gallagher at this level, or you want to make sure that you maximize what Caulfield can give you? Because Caulfield, obviously being the younger, more productive player and better player, 
Maybe he's, he's able, he should be able to accomplish more by himself without being dependent on his, on his line mates. But, and, and Gallagher might not be there anymore. But it's, uh, th that's where you see that losing Kirby Doc has made such a big difference because had Kirby Doc been there, you could, you could put Doc on the, uh, on the wing and keep your, you know, loading your first line and be done with it. But well, I mean, look, no hook never would have played center this year. I mean, it's and honestly, Doc would still be playing with Slavkovsky. Slavkovsky probably wouldn't have gone through that stretch where he was completely invisible and doing nothing in that whole fire I mean, there's a lot of dominoes that fell when when Doc went down because yeah. the, team, the team's not that deep. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, but this is the whole thing is a way to create new. I mean, you remember how Marty used to say how oh we have many options. Yeah. But this is a yeah. this is a way to yeah. create new options because instead of having to always have to solve the puzzle of who's fitting best with Cole and Nick, mm -hmm. now by splitting them two, well, you new combinations become possible. Yeah, all for all for the split, just That's not it. in favor of how. Uh... Of how it was split, basically, yeah. I guess is is so maybe and maybe maybe Marty wasn't either. Listen, they didn't practice today, being Friday, Saturday. We'll see. He probably won't show us his lines on Saturday morning at a Boston. So we'll see if we'll see if he decides to put to split that line with Monahan. Because uh, let's just touch quickly on the defense decisions because I just love how on the very day I drop a story about how Caden <laughs> Gooley and Justin Barron should play more, not less. <laughs> That yes. they should be taking minutes away from Mike Matheson. Marty Saint-Louis says, I will see your bet, and I will raise you splitting that pairing up as well and putting Justin Barron up with Mike Matheson. And credit to Mike Matheson, in a similar vein, he was you know, not quite like what Sarkowski was going through last week, but you know, he had, you know, everyone's mentioning the four goals in the first period against the Lightning. He was also on for four goals against the Blues the game before. Yeah. So that was four periods where he was – on the ice for eight goals against at all strengths. Yeah. So it's not a, it's not easy to sugarcoat that. You know, yes, there are four other people on the ice with him, but when you're the common denominator in two separate games, four periods, eight goals against, not great. And so credit to him, you know, and he came out. Well, we should bring this up. I want to just briefly bring this up. Go ahead, man. After Tuesday's game, I wasn't in the I wasn't in the Canadians dressing room. I was I went to go talk to Matt Tompkins, the, the Lightning goalie who had who had won. But but everyone asked to speak to Mike Matheson. The Canadians did not make him available. Yes, the when, they did not make him available. They, from what my understanding is, that they didn't even ask. They didn't Mike even Matt. ask. No, they made the decision that Mike Matheson was going to have a day off from the media, which is fine. That's your prerogative. It's your organization. Do whatever you want. But the thing is that the Canadians have to realize they are not doing the player a favor by doing this. It doesn't help. It only hurts. And in fact, what helps in a situation like that is a player coming out and owning a bad performance, talking about it, saying it's unacceptable, saying he will be better. That's what helps. Hiding the player makes the player, through no fault of his own, because he wasn't given the option, through no fault of his own makes the player look like a coward. It makes the player look like he's hiding and he's not accountable and he won't face the music when he plays poorly. And that's being, that's happening. That happened to Mike Matheson, whether anyone wrote it or not, no matter what, if a fan was watching that game and then finds out after the game, you know what? Mike Matheson wasn't there to answer questions. What a coward. 
Yeah. Not knowing that the Canadians didn't didn't even ask him to come out, not knowing that Mike Madison wasn't given the opportunity to say yes or no, it's it's a disservice. And listen, this is not exclusive to this PR staff with the Canadians. This has gone on for a very long time where they decide, no, so so and so had a rough well, night. We're gonna give him a break tonight. We're gonna give him a break tonight, which is what I think the actual wording was for Mike Madison after the game. Oh yeah? Okay. Yes. And so you're not doing the player a favor. If the Canadians, if, if you're watching this, just know it only extends the story by another day. That's, that's where I was going. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Because the exactly same night, same night, people will talk about Mike Matheson saying, you know what? He's, it's been two games where he's on the ice for eight goals, but we clear the issue the same night. Otherwise, yeah. we, we talk about the loss. We can mention Matheson, but he was not there. They make him available the day after. And, and Mike Matheson becomes the big story where yes. you could avoid this by just, you know, clearing that with the rest of the, 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 the game story, the game issues from the very just night. Ask, just ask the guy. Yeah. If the guy says no, then fine. Then then shield him, you know, and then you can say, oh, we're giving him a break tonight. But don't – and maybe that's what happened. Maybe they are shielding him. Who knows? But I doubt it because it's – when you don't give the player the option to come out and face the music. I mean, other players see that too. You know, like when you come out after a tough night, Jeff Petrie did this a lot. Jeff Petrie would have a tough night. Where would you see it? He would be sitting in his locker waiting for us when we walked in the room. It happened a lot because he had a lot of rough nights. And every time he did where he felt he cost the team a win, we didn't have to ask for Jeff Petrie. Some nights he was there without us even requesting him. He'd just Mm. be sitting there ready to answer questions, ready to fall on his sword and say, I was not good enough tonight. I need to be better. And that's all it takes. It takes Four minutes, not even. And I'm sure Mike Matson would have probably said something similar that night, but it wasn't good. Yeah, well, he was, though. That's the thing. The very next game, he was better. Yes, so. he was. Exactly. And good for him. Yeah. That's great. And, and listen, he came out and he answered questions on Wednesday. Uh, didn't enjoy it, but who would? Um, but he came out and played a much more solid game. And I should say... That, that Barron was quite good next to him. I thought he played really well. And and the Justin Barron thing is Bears watching. Like it's He's, this is quite a story. This is that ball guy is who, rolling. That ball is rolling. He had a terrible training terrible is actually the bad word. He had an underwhelming training camp where he didn't stand out particularly in any way. Hmm. He wasn't horrible, but he wasn't good. He was just kind of there. And for this guy to now slowly gain his confidence and and really start to thrive with increased minutes. Um, I thought he was good playing with Matheson. And Gooley was as good as he always is. Well, so- that's it. Well, that's where right now it, it shows that Barron is being used as a number three defenseman because Matheson mm-hmm. and Gooley are the, the be- two best healthy bodies they've got on defense. Yeah. And after that, they've been trying Kova- Kovacevic, who... Who sort of plateaued and reached his his reach his peak at some point, uh, and then Harris, who had who had been good, but it it became became shaky the last couple of games when he was paired with Masterson. So mm-hmm. now you turn back to to Barron because Barron built up his confidence since the beginning of the season, and now he's ready to say, okay, well, if if number one or number two are not top of their game, you're the one who's going to play with them, and you're going to make that pairing stronger. So I would argue that Barron's game has improved dramatically since he was put back on the power play. 
Yeah. If for that guy, that guy's confidence comes from being a power play guy. And that was another misstep, I think, from Marty that I don't know if he would admit it or not. But, you know, early on when Jack Guy was on the power play, I remember I spoke to both of them in the room. I went to Jack Guy. I was like, you know, long term, do you see yourself more as a power play guy or a penalty kill guy? He's like, yeah, probably penalty kill. Hmm. And I went to Baron. I was like, long term, do you see yourself as more of a penalty guy or a power play guy? Yeah, probably a power play guy. And like neither of them seemed to really disagree with the fact that they should probably be flipping their roles. Right. Um, but Marty was kind of a little stubborn on it and was like, no, we want we want Baron to focus on his defensive game. So we're not going to put him on the power play. And now they want Jack Guy to focus on his defensive game. So that's the excuse he's using to take him off the power play. I don't think he was very effective on the power play. I don't even think Jack Guy thought he was effective on the power play. Like, honestly, I talked to him about it with him a couple of times, not exactly exuding confidence about how he was playing on the power play. And so I think he was doing more harm than good. And I think yeah. Baron being on the power play can do more good than harm in his case because he's always been on the power play. And it's really where his biggest source of pride is as a player. And so maybe that's But his another... level of confidence translates also five on five when he jumps into play night after night now. Well that's what but I think that I think part of that comes from being a having a power play role. Yeah. That his confidence gets gets boosted. And I think the power play was was sapping Jack Kai of his confidence. And I think his play has even improved since he's been taken off the power play. Okay, there's a big uh Big, a lot of chatter around the NHL about the fate of the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, they're a train wreck right now. I, I, I was, I mean, I sent a message to uh, to Dangle last night saying that watching this team play is it, it's like slowing down on the highway to watch a, a car crash. You know, was, the only reason I couldn't, I'm at I'm at a I'm at a hockey tournament with my son, so we're sharing a hotel room, and I wanted desperately to turn the game on, but my kid was sleeping at a game at eight this morning. But I was following. I stayed up long enough to follow Twitter yeah. during the game because Twitter was probably more entertaining than the actual game itself. So I was just lying in my bed in the dark, following along on Twitter, exactly doing exactly that, stopping yeah. at the highway to check out the the, the car wreck, the, the sure. 18 car pileup on the side of the road. Well, especially since they were losing to the, the San Jose Sharks, who have been a train wreck of their own since the beginning of the season. Right. Um, but so there's been obviously one of the key issues with the Edmonton Oilers, and it's not the only one, but one of them is in goals. Uh, obviously, as everyone knows, Jack Campbell has been waived and then sent down to the American League. So now there's been the look all around the league. Who could they trade for? And uh, the name of Jake Allen came up, uh, which I think is, is, is interesting, obviously. Yeah, so they need help in goal. But the deeper the hole they, they dig for themselves, the more, the more significant the help they'll, they'll need to get if they want to, you know, get out of that hole. So yeah. you're not going to waste assets just to make yourself, like, slightly better mm -hmm. and, you, and if you don't make the playoffs. So acquiring Jake Allen, I mean, it would not – They would not solve their 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 team problems. I mean, they're still a team that's very sketchy on defense. Their their offense is top heavy, and and McDavid, I think, doesn't look like he's 100. So, um, but at the same time, if you if you if they acknowledge that they have more than one problem and they try to fix more than one problem, then turning to a guy like Jake Allen could enable them to to say, okay, well, we're going to. 
devote some of the assets that we're willing to part with into f helping fixing a little bit of that problem and maybe a little bit of that other problem, whether it be on defense or whatnot. So like two medium moves instead of one, one big move. So in that sense, I think that Allen could be an interesting candidate for, for the, uh, the Edmonton Oilers to acquire. Uh, do you think, do you see that scenario as coming to fruition to be viable between those two teams? Uh, I don't for, for super, first off, I don't think the Canadians would be unwilling to trade Jake Allen. Um, I think that that's a possibility they would be willing to look at. So it's not a non-starter. Um, but you know, in a situation like the Oilers find themselves in, Ken Hughes would be absolutely bonkers crazy to not ask for the moon for mm -hmm. Jake Allen because they have no need to trade him. Yes, they have this sticky three goaltender situation. Yes, they would like to get Primo more playing time. And yes, Jake Allen doesn't really figure into their future much. So those are all reasons to trade him. For one thing, they would need to find almost a perfect monetary match with the Oilers. Uh, just looking at it, Cody Ceci has another year left at 3.25. I can't imagine the Canadians would want to take that on without some significant sweeteners. Warren Fogel's at 2.75. I don't can't imagine the Canadians would want any part of that either. Um, and you're looking through the rest of the organization. I mean, I know that you, we, you know, you mentioned Dylan Holloway as a potential Kirby doc esque trade. I don't think as desperate as the Oilers are, I can't imagine they would be no. willing to send him over for Jake Allen. So it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless you make it into a bigger deal. And in which case, like would David Savard interest the Oilers, they, they could seem to use a guy like David Savard. Yes. Yeah, so, but again, they they need to feel as though no, no, no. They need something now. That's the problem. Yeah, they cannot they, they cannot build for the playoffs. Or they're so far from playoff spot. Yeah, but they, they need are, to get out of the hole but first. Are, but maybe like yeah, but like I think if you figure Jake Allen will help you get out of the hole for now, and then when David Savard comes back, he helps address an actual need, an actual yeah. problem that's leading. It's not just the goaltending; it's the amount of just grade eight scoring chances they're giving up on the very few shots that they're allowing. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how they would feel about David Savard. David Savard is not a perfect defenseman by any stretch of the imagination. He's um, his possession metrics, everything that you look at analytically are always awful, but he is a tremendous teammate. He's a heart and soul guy. He's a shot blocker. He's really a ideal playoff defenseman. So, And if you're adding him to the mix, then maybe whatever Ken Hughes would want, which would be a significant ask of futures and young prospects and everything, maybe that starts to make a little bit more sense for the Oilers. So that's yeah, just when, me. That's when, just when, me you're offering, when you're offering a, 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 an asset like Jake Allen, other teams have their own Jake Allen. The Canadians would not be the only ones to – have a, a goalie of that caliber expand that 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 could be tradable. So you oh, have really you, well who else do you have? I mean well, it's a, kind of a proven veteran 
stabilizing force in goal that a team is willing to part with, mm-hmm. that a team doesn't need on their roster. It's actually a pretty unique situation that the Canadians are in because they'd probably be willing to just roll the dice with Sam Montembeau and Caden Primo. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, I mean, you look at who are the teams like Buffalo, do they have three healthy goalies now? Uh, well, Comrie is about to come back. Yeah, Comrie is so. about to come back, so they're going to be yeah. in that situation. But they have played Calgary. Right. Calgary just called up Dustin Wolf, and, right? Uh, but they could send they could send Wolf back down if yeah. yeah. But yes, they could they could conceivably, although Calgary helping Edmonton when they themselves are on life support and trying to get It'd into the playoffs seems, seems a bit far fetched. Yeah. Um, you know, and then there's Philly mm-hmm. and that and Detroit, and those yeah. are the the teams that have extra goalies on the roster right now. So if that's the subset you're working with, where we can go get a goalie from one of these teams that has an extra one, and maybe the price won't be as high, they're not as reliable as some of the other. Like this, you can't you can't bank any sort of playoff campaign on Jake Allen's shoulders. He's a he's a good goalie. He's off to a great start, but he's Jake Allen. There's no mystery there. It's yeah. not that's not a bad thing. It's just that he is who he is. Is all I'm saying. It's not that being Jake Allen is bad. It's that he's not. But all Edmonton wants right now is league average goaltending. That's all they're do- that's all they need. Oh, and Jake, 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 Jake Allen, Allen would provide that and provide yeah. that. Yeah, and and, and I know that, that we we answered a question from a listener on Monday on on the trade value of the different Canadians goalies and and I think I, I stand by that today. I still think that none of them holds like real value league wide, really good value. But I'll, I'll I'll add this caveat though: a player is not worth just what what the thing that owns him thinks he's worth and he's not just worth what most teams around the league will think he's worth he's he's worth what a team that needs him actually thinks he's worth because when you oh, the, when you the need forces, a, the forces of supply and demand exactly fully yeah, yeah fully come into play 100% I, absolutely. absolutely because when you need a player and you're you know and he meets your your criteria for 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 an acquisition Then you might be ready to pay more, and uh, so who cares what the other one teams in the league might think of, of Jake Allen? The Oilers might say, you know what, this is the guy that we need right now. You you need only one team to spike the value of your uh, of a goalie. So, um, yeah. I think that when it comes to Edmonton and and Allen, there's something to that effect that's at play, but you, it it comes back also to the money aspect though, because they're in a situation where they're money in, money out. They cannot add on any salary and the so money out, can, the money out would they would have to I think they got like eighty five thousand dollars of they money. would have to pay they would have to pay assets in addition to the money out because the money out would be a sunk cost for the Canadians so they would have to be willing to send Jake Allen there bring back Cody CC let's just say let's just say it's Cody CC Canadians have no interest in Cody CC, let alone another year of Cody CC, and no. so there would have to be a sweetener added to that. So not only so that sweetener, think of how sweet that sweetener would have to be for the Canadians to even entertain this. It would probably have to be someone like Dylan Hall. It, like it would have to be something like that. Are the are the Oilers and and that's the other interesting part of this is the Oilers are 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 governed by what amounts to a lame duck GM, a guy who is. That's trying true. to win a cup at the end of his career. Lou Lamorello's done some wonky things at the end of his career, just in, a, in an effort to win one last cup. So 
Well, Burge, when he felt as though his time was pretty much done in Montreal, did some wonky things yeah. too. Hey, calling up Mike Hoffman for on free agent day was was definitely one of them. But, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, if I'm just spitballing, you didn't mention the name of uh, of Ryan McLeod, who's yeah. uh, sure. So he's a he's a you know he's a big big centerman, skates almost as fast as his brother. Uh, he's what 24. He's like in, right up there in the in in the yeah. age group that they're looking for. Uh, he's still got a decent upside. He doesn't make as much money as. No, no, they would they would need to add more money for, to well, make it. You know what? Work. You know, let's forget Edmonton for a second. Whether the Canadians choose to trade Allen or they move Primo, they'll want the third goalie in their organization no matter what. Because they, if there's an injury, they they don't want to have to turn to guys who are already struggling to stop mm -hmm. pucks in Laval. Yeah. So in my in my mind, a, a guy like um, uh, what's his name? I, I have Irving in my head, but Cal Calvin Picard, who just been moved up, he's 31 years old. Calvin Picard, he's he's like he'd be perfect for that. He's a guy who's who would stabilize the rocket in front of the net. He can be called up and help you out in a pinch. And yeah. if you send him down, he's unlikely to be picked up on waivers. So I just I don't I don't see a fit. I don't see the trade fit, the actual trade fit. Because let's see. Ryan McLeod and Calvin Pickard, right? And a pick. Well, of course. It's there's like, gonna be, it's there's like... going to be futures involved. But even yeah, yeah, that, of course. Yeah. Like, even then, I don't know if it works. What are they looking at here? What are they... <laughs> Their projected cap space is $21,308. That's, oh. that's, you heard me right. So <laughs> even even with Pickard and McLeod, it doesn't work. They need to add more money. They need to add another – at which point you're talking about, I don't know, Lavoie, Hall, like I mean – Or the Canadians retaining salary, but they wouldn't do that for like a $300,000. No. And they're not – and it would and it would bleed into next year. Like it's yeah. just not – it's not – It's not – it's not – I mean, it could be, but that's the thing. It would have to be so ridiculous for the Oilers. Like, the Oilers would have to do something so irresponsibly stupid for it to work yeah. as a trade. Like, that's the reality. And so, because I don't think Ken Hughes is going to accept anything less than irresponsibly stupid as a return <laughs> for for throwing a lifeboat to, to Ken Holland, you know. For sure. Yeah, yeah. and he's, uh, anyway, he's in no hurry to solve that three-goalie issue right now. So. No, no, they're fine with it. Although yeah. I think they would like to see Caden Primo play a little bit more often, and maybe Martin Saint Louis was convinced a little bit in Detroit with how Caden Primo played, but I think it's pretty clear the front office would like a bit more—not an equitable split between the three—but having having Primo sit for two weeks between games is not is not ideal in in anyone's eyes, really. I feel like the way that they manage Primo and the the goalie decisions—it it reminds me a little bit of that that thing with Sean Farrell last year. That Marty seems a bit uneasy when it comes to goalie decisions. Well, I don't think – I think the Sean Farrell thing last year is why the Canadians didn't flat-out demand that Creighton Primo play before that game in Detroit. Mm -hmm. I think I think management wanted that – wanted one of the games on that trip to go to Caden Primo. But yes, they're they leaving lineup – I think they saw what happens when they mess with Marty's lineup. 
Marty, Marty's going to spout off. You don't off. want Marty angry. <laughs> you don't, you don't, you don't want, want Marty angry. angry. <laughs> uh, Marty got all, got all, all, uh, you know, he spouted off. Mm. He made it very, very obvious that this was not his decision and he's going to, he would do it again. I'm pretty sure. Cause I think he sees a line of, there's a line there. You guys do your thing. Every time Marty has to talk about something that's not even been imposed by the front office, but that is happening as a result of the front office's actions, Armia coming back in the lineup. Um, when the third goalie's going to play. Uh, you know, Jackye having to be papered prior to the season. Wouldn't talk yeah. about that. Anytime there's any cap shenanigans going on in the front office, Marty wants nothing to do with it. That's been, a, he's been pretty consistent with that. Like, Front office people, you know, that's a question for Kent being a favorite yeah. answer of his. Front office people answer front office questions. I answer coaching questions. The coach decides the lineup. That's pretty clear in his mind. So I think had the Farrell thing not happened last year, um, I'm tempted to believe that they would have imposed Caden Primo to play a game earlier than he did on Marty. But Marty, good on him has shown management that you, you better not do that or I'm not going to make you look bad. And it's, yeah, yeah. It's just exactly he's what he did. He's peeing <laughs> on his territory. Yes, exactly. That's right. <laughs> he's like the wolf. He's like the wolf going around. Craig. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think it'll be a long time before we see management, a, an order come down from management that a certain player be in the lineup. So, yeah. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so uh, we'll finish this episode. Well, it's becoming a tradition at The Notebook. Every Friday, we focus on a prospect. And uh, you might go, what? Him? Again? But uh, let's let's have another look at Philip Michard because the, our, I think when we first got started with the Prospect Friday thing, we, uh, we took a look at, at his situation. But Michard's situation has evolved since then. Uh, in a in a positive matter, so mm-hmm. I mean I took the baton and 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 I mean I, I I discussed it at length the first time, but I think you you dug into it a little bit more. So I'll let you go on Philip Mishara, who's now um, becoming a very productive player in juniors with the Kitchener Rangers. Yeah, productive and consistent. And it was your story that was the first time publicly, at least, that Philip Mishara admitted that he would be open to going back to the Kitchener Rangers. Up until that point, he was steadfast, that he was ready to make the jump, that he was going to play in Laval. That and, and I know that there were some in Canadians management who were tiptoeing around that whole situation because they felt convinced that and, – and, and you speak to J.F. Fool, you know, he's got Kidney to incorporate, even Meshach uh, – You know, these these smaller types of forwards, Farrell, with the aforementioned Sean Farrell, um, having too many smaller forwards in the AHL is not ideal. So since Meshar had eligibility or it made sense for a 19-year-old to go play in the OHL, um, 
he went. And I spoke to Kitchener Rangers GM uh, Mike McKenzie earlier today about that. And he was he, – he pushed back hard on the notion that Meshar – even despite what he said to you, that Meshar had any reservations about going to Kitchener. He confirmed basically what he said to you in that article. Mm-hmm. He showed up there, excellent attitude. He said when he arrived, the two of us, we had a, we had a straight conversation, very honest. This is what the Canadians need to see from you. This is what you need to do to make the jump. And one thing he said, the impression, the change in him from last year, one thing was that he, Meshar has gone from a short-term view to a long-term view and really embraced that, that if these are the steps I need to take to become an established regular player in the NHL, then I'm going to do it. And you mentioned the production. He's got 12 points in his first six games. And that's not just like – that's not like a Joshua Roth five-point game thrown in and with a bunch of zeros. No, he's gotten a point in every game he's played. He's gotten at least two points in five of the six games he's played. Wow. Um, and so he has one game with one point, one game with three points. He has two points in every other game. So the production is there. Yeah. Uh, but what McKenzie mentioned is that really what the, what the Canadians want him to go down there and do, he didn't say it, he didn't use these words, but what they want him to go down and do is become harder. They want him to be a harder hockey player, play more on the inside, engage mm-hmm. more in battles, play better defensively, do all the things that coaches always talk about, which is, that, which is the terms that McKenzie talked about. And he said to his eyes – He's seen it so far. So on top of the production, he's like, listen, he's going to get his points. He's the OHL, the CHL in general, but particularly the OHL, unless you're an exceptional player, most of the best players in the league are 19 and 20 years old. So the fact that Meshar had a bad second half last year or an unproductive second half last year wasn't surprising. 18 years old, a a jam-packed year, combine, draft, rookie camp, uh, development camp, Canadians training camp, rocket training camp, game with the rocket, over to Kitchener, then to World Juniors. He said by the time he got back from World Juniors, he got the impression that he was just tired, which is somewhat understandable. So we'll see what happens. It's only been six games, 12 points. He's he's lighting it up, but really most importantly in Mike McKenzie's eyes is the other things that the Canadians want to see from him, and he's fully bought in on those, and he's really engaged. And I think going to Laval training camp, and realizing how hard it was going to be for him to crack that lineup probably was the last click that this guy needed. Like, okay, I need, there's certain things I need to learn to do better if I want to play in that league, let yeah. alone the NHL. Well, he's and 19 so he's, years old also, so it's uh, it's not absolutely. as though he's he's behind schedule or whatever. Being a first-round pick is not to open you every door. No, no, especially not a 26th overall pick. I mean, that's really... That's really what we're talking about, right? And so it's it's, but Mike's Mike's been very encouraged so far, and it's really, you know, he, he see. I'll give you this contrast. So last year, after Meshar got sent to Kitchener, I spoke to Mike McKenzie, and he talked about his first game, and how he dazzled, and he scored, and he scored the overtime winner on a breakaway, and he did this, and he was all over the place, and he was just dazzling. And he remember sitting back, he's like, "Whoa, this guy is gonna really." This guy's going to make a difference on our team. So I brought, I reminded him of that. This was maybe five, right around the same time, actually, about five or six games after he played in Kitchener. So I reminded him of that today. It's like, remember, like, when you you sat down that first game, you saw Meshar, and you're like, boy, this guy's going to really make a difference. So it's like, have you had that moment in his first six games? He thought about it. He's like, 
No. I mean, every game he does one or two things where you're like, you know, wow, he's really good. But it's the consistency in his play. It's not the flash. It's right. consistent production, consistent playing hard-nosed hockey or harder-nosed hockey or as hard-nosed as a guy who doesn't quite reach 170 pounds can play. Um, those things, seeing those things consistently is really what is making him most encouraged in Meshar's game. So it's easy. And as I mentioned to Mike, I was like, listen, I can look at a game log and draw all sorts of conclusions off a game log. And the game log looks really good. He's like, yeah, but the game log doesn't even tell half the story. The real story is the stuff off the puck is the real story is the attitude and the willingness and the buy-in to do what the Canadians want to see from him. So pretty encouraging stuff from the GM of the Kitchener Rangers on Philip Michard. That's great. That's great because the flashes, I mean, the flashes are always what will just draw the attention to the player and say, right. Yoo-hoo, I'm here, you know, look at me. But then after that, it's what else? Okay, beyond the flashes, what what yeah. do you have other than that? And Kind of reminds me of a player from the last draft. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> so... Yeah, and so in that sense, it's the rest of his game, apart mm -hmm. from the fact that, you know, when he's at the top of his speed, there there are some plays that he can make in, in his hands and whatnot. Uh, the rest of his game is what's going to enable him to at least use some of those wow moments at the at the pro level and bring the rest of his game uh, convinced that the rest of his game is, is good enough and he's not well, only about skill and flashes. He's not going to show wow moments at the next level without the rest of his game. The That's rest it. of his game will get him to that level in order to allow him to have the wow moments. But, you know, it's – it's, and I think I think it'd be worthwhile to get your head around what kind of player this is going to be listening. It's incredible puck skills, incredible speed. And I actually threw my theory about him being too heavy and having lost a bit of speed past Mike McKenzie did not buy it for a second. He's like, listen, it's, it's a different level. So maybe I'm not seeing it quite the same way you are because you're comparing him to NHL caliber guys. This is obviously a, a slower league. It's, it's, it's not men, but, um, but You look at Yol Armia, and I'm not listen. I'm not saying Philip Machard is going to be any. I'm not comparing him to anything. But Yol Armia, when he was Philip Machard's age, everyone had an idea of what he was going to be: huge, incredible hands, incredible shot, good along the walls. This guy's going to be a superstar. And sometimes you just turn out to be Yol Armia, not a superstar, but a useful NHL player, you know, and has been for quite a long time. I don't know what kind of player Philip Machard is going to wind up being, but It's okay if he doesn't wind up being a superstar talent. Just because he was taken in the first round doesn't mean you turn mm. into a superstar. And so that's the fact that he's maybe made that realization, not saying that he's selling himself short or whatever, but realizing that my talent alone is not going to make it, is not going to get me there. There's lots of talented guys and they all have different talents and they're unique in their own way. Uh, but the fact that I need to, I need to I need to make a trust I need to make a coach trust me to put me out on the ice and not hurt the team. Yeah, and developing the reflex to play on the inside and and win his battles and whatnot, especially at the, with the frame he's got right now, it's much better suited that he plays in the OHL rather than the American League. Yeah, he's doing great. So let's see let's see what that leads to. Mm -hmm. um, if he goes back to the World Juniors, that would 
be even better. Uh, we'll see what uh, we'll see what happens. But flying great, flight like very much not only passing grades, but excellent, excellent feedback from the GM of the Kitchen Rangers today. Okay, so um, we uh, it, it would be fun to hear from our listeners if you have a. Uh, certain guys, certain prospects that you'd like us to inquire about, to dig and learn more about, uh, you can just uh, drop your suggestions. It's not as though we're out of suggestions just because we we brought up Philip Michard twice already. Uh, we, we're quite familiar with the list of prospects the Canadians have, and we intend to go through it throughout the season. But um, it, it's more like... Uh, You know, the, a DJ asking for special requests. So you can, uh, you can write on our, uh, Twitter handle at Basu and Godin or, uh, on our email at Basu and Godin at gmail.com. And, uh, just, uh, for your suggestions on which prospect you'd like us to, uh, focus on in the next, uh, uh, prospect Fridays. Speaking of our Twitter handle and our email address, you can also, uh, drop your questions because we've got our Monday mailbag coming up in our next episode. So there's that. And uh, that's it. Otherwise, uh, two very important games coming up. So we'll see, Arpin, where uh, where this team is. Are they back to not square one, but square zero <laughs> when it comes up for, on Monday? Square well, minus two. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll see about well, that. Well, yeah, there'll be two games. And so it could be a very different story by Monday. Uh, but enjoy your weekend, everyone. Enjoy the games if you're going to watch them. If not, enjoy... Uh, whatever it is you're doing, and we'll talk to you on Monday.